Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we will be talking about A Simple Plan from 1998, which received two nominations at the 71st Academy Awards. It's Best Supporting Actor, Billy Bob Thornton, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Scott B. Smith, who adapted his own novel of the same name. Uh, it's a great film. Super excited to talk about, talk about it today. I think it's kind of a gem of the late 90s that I wish more people talked about. Uh, the reason we're kind of doing this is because Sam Raimi is a very important filmmaker to both Connor and I and his newest film, which he hasn't done a film since Oz, the great and powerful 2013. Uh, this is, you know, it's almost a 10 year gap. And, you know, he directed the new Dr. Strange film that is out now. You can go see that in theaters tomorrow. We'll have an episode talking about that film, Marvel's latest and greatest. So, uh, you know, it, it seemed like a fun idea to install, you know, we could have done Doctor Strange. We could do Spider-Man, a Spider-Man movie on here. But it seems cool to kind of go to a different you know, realm of Sam Raimi's career because he's got such a crazy, wild run. You know, of course, this is the guy, the genius behind the Evil Dead movies. Of course, Army of Darkness. You know, um, of course, the Spider-Man films, that, that, that trilogy. Uh, Drag Me to Hell. He's got a lot of really cool movies. And I think A Simple Plan is right up at the tippy top of his best stuff because it is so different. It is so restrained compared to what he usually does. So I'm really excited to talk about it, man. Yeah, me too. This was new territory for me. Uh, It's only a handful of Sam Raimi movies I haven't seen yet. And this was one of them. Uh, I'm glad I finally had an excuse to tackle it. It's very, very nineties, very uh, intense. Like you said, very restrained, kind of a hybrid of Fargo and shallow grave. Almost, you know, mm. this idea that, you know, when you're looking at a bag of four million dollars in cash, you got blinders on. There's nothing else happening. And, you know, how much of that is going to consume your soul? It's such a great concept. I, we were just talking about how much we love movies about money destroying people. Uh, this is one. Of yeah. The best. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think. uh I think I agree with you. I wrote, I read your review and I, I love the idea of, you know, it being a hybrid of Fargo and shallow grave. Of course, shallow grave is Danny Boyle, one of his best movies and Fargo, of course, one of the Coen's best movie, Coen brothers, best movies. And of course, Sam Raimi and the Coen's have this really amazing like relationship and work partnership. Uh, wish crime, wish a crime wave was a little bit better, <laughs> but, but that's what okay. we all we can talk. We can talk about that at a different time. Um, I, I, I heard um, one of my favorite writers, his name's Adam Naiman. He's just kind of a fucking, you know, cinephile to the bone, to the core. And he's been doing amazing writing for, you know, reviews for different websites. And he's recently written two books, uh, one about the Coen Brothers films. Sorry, I think three books now. The Coen Brothers, uh, he did a Paul Thomas Anderson book. He's, I don't know if the David Fincher book is already out or not, but he, yeah, so he's ta- he tackles these huge you know, monstrous filmmakers. And I heard him talking about Sam Raimi and talking about a simple plan 
Uh, and he was like, he, he, he called it the link, the link between the bridge between Fargo and no country for old men. And I thought that was so cool. I love thinking, I love thinking about it that way. Um, he was like, look, those movies don't need a bridge, but it's cool to have one, you know? And uh, I, I, you know, I kind of agree with him. And like one of my favorite movies of all time is treasure of the Sierra Madre. I thought about that the whole time I was, you know, rewatching a simple plan. You have three guys that are, you know, greed just starts corrupting all of them. Um, and that's one of the best places to start a story at or start a movie at. So the history of a simple plan is crazy. Just the, what it went through to get, you know, to get made. Uh, at one point, Ben Stiller was going to adapt the, the book. Uh, ben Stiller apparently is the one who helped Scott B. Smith. They wrote the screenplay and like kind of restructured it over nine months. And Scott B. Smith credits Ben Stiller for teaching him how to write movies. Very cool. Very interesting tidbit from a guy in the late nineties who's like doing fucking happy Gilmore, you know, and uh, you know, and there's something about Mary and shit like that. So that's really, really neat. Um, and of course, Sam Raimi is the director, but he was like the fourth choice. You know, there's a bunch of other people who were going to do it, who are going to tackle it. Um, and it came to him and I think he's the perfect guy, you know, uh, and it, it just kind of counters everything that he's all about. You know, you watch, you watch Evil Dead or Army of Darkness or, you know, Drag Me to Hell. And it's just this disgusting, funny, like dark, nasty experimentation with film. And A Simple Plan is a movie's movie. And I love that. I love that about his career, that he has those different things. And you can kind of credit him for being the gateway of superhero movies being what they are today. You know, those, those first two Spider-Man movies are, are, are so important to like how we see superhero films now, you know? That, it, that my favorite scene from maybe any fucking superhero movie ever is that Doc Ock scene when the fucking tentacles on the arms, you know, come out and it's straight horror. It's a horror scene. It's, it's so Sam Raimi and it's like, oh my God, this is like a huge big budget Sony production and they put this in it with Alfred Molina, this amazing character actor playing Doc Ock, which is such a wild fucking character to play. Uh, I, I, I love Sam Raimi for even if he just did that <laughs> I would love him for that but he has so much other shit you know he has like 16 17 movies at this point and I would say like 12 of them are really good that's a good batting average you know and I, I don't know he's like 60 now and I think people should talk about him more in the mainstream I agree 100% I've I feel like I've grown up with Sam Raimi's films as just part of who I am um, I think he's the greatest director when it comes to the uh, to showing possession and not just in the evil dead. I mean, a simple plan very much deals with possession, you know, being possessed by greed and paranoia and jealousy uh, film like, you know, Oz, the great and powerful, you know, the wicked witch of the West gets consumed by jealousy over her sister and that possession turns her into the witch uh, fucking the new one, Doctor Strange, there's very much a, I won't reveal it here in case you guys haven't seen it yet, but there is a character who is possessed by a drive to find something again and it consumes them. Sam Raimi brings that to every production he's a part of, which is so cool. It's this, this through line of just, you know, some form of, of the deadites in some way, just indifferent. You know, if it's money, if it's power, if it's greed, it's always some kind of possession. And I, I love that that's become kind of his thing. Oh yeah. 
Very cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to do movies like this. I, I, we do a lot of massive, you know, fucking game-changing type films on Oscar Sunday. You know, we just did Sounds of the Lambs last week. We've done, we did episode 90 through 100. There were these kind of like, like we did Deathly Hollows part two. You know, we, we were doing some huge major films and uh, it feels good to kind of like, part of why we started this show was to highlight movies like this that like got one or two nominations and maybe have been under the radar. We love doing movies like this. Uh, it's kind of like at, at our core, kind of marrying why we started the podcast thing and filmgasm and doing, you know, doing genre films with Oscar and, you know, kind of prestigious films. So this is kind of like, I feel like we're right at home doing this movie. Um, and I feel right at home doing another top five, man. Uh, I love doing top fives with you. It's so much fun to kind of guess where you're going to go with your stuff. And we haven't done a year top five in over 20 episodes. The last one we did was uh, up in the air. We did top five 2009 films. That was like episode 77 or 78. Damn. We haven't done that. That was like back in November last year. So yeah, we haven't done that, you know, in a, in a long time. We've done, you know, we did Pixar Character Hall of Fame and Harry Potter Car- Character Hall of Fame. And we did top five Spike Lee movies. And uh, we brought Caleb on for some episodes. And, like We've done all kinds of different things. But we haven't done, I love these year top fives because you get to talk about potentially five different filmmakers completely five different types of movies so i'm excited to kind of just bounce bounce around and have some fun here i think 1998 is a great great year uh, i think 99 is always cited as this monstrous you know game-changing year but i think 98 has a lot to a lot of great stuff to offer and i know you and i both have some personal favorites from that year so uh whenever you're ready if you want to talk about 1998 a little bit go ahead but whenever you're ready uh let's hear your number five all right, 98. Very interesting. Um, I noticed a lot of uh, a lot of genre films overpower this year for me. Uh, mm. I went entirely personal personal favorites for my five. There's no yeah, yeah. I got no one to impress. There's no Shakespeare in love. Like I don't even have Saving Private Ryan in here, and I do love that movie. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going. Okay. I'm going All deep right. deep Connor tracks here. I, I think I can guess, you know, I think we're both going to have, I think there's two of two, I think there's two movies on my list that you'll have um, one, one of them being pretty obvious, but yeah. I'm very interested. I think I could guess yours, but I'm really curious to hear if you <laughs> went with those. Uh, Cause yeah, I've got, I've gotten to know you pretty well over the past few years. <laughs> yeah. These top fives between you and me almost become an exercise of like, how well do I know him when it comes to this? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Like we're playing our own private mental game show. Um, <laughs> my number Great five. Show. Yeah. My number five is a film that I've always loved. Uh, I don't care to hear. I don't believe any of the hatred for this film. I think it's a gem. I think it's delightful. It is 1998's Small Soldiers. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Gremlins meets Toy Story and Joe Dante doesn't fucking care. I love it. Uh, it's exactly the same story as Gremlins, almost by like by the second. It's hilarious, and it's just you know this, these two toy designers work at a toy company that was recently bought by a like global munitions company, and Dennis Leary is like, "Hey, make these soldier toys work like they do in the in the commercial," and Jay Moore and David Cross are like, "How do we do that?" 
So Jay Moore puts these super advanced munitions chips in the toys and it creates artificial intelligence and these toys go amok and try to take over a neighborhood. It's amazing. It's so much fun. Tommy Lee Jones plays Major Chip Hazard, the leader of the of the soldiers, and the rest of the soldiers are the fucking wild bunch. <laughs> or the, the dirty dozen. Like it's made up of old school character actors like Ernest Borgnine. It's crazy. Frank Langella plays the leader of the like alien creatures that they're hunting. And then, you know, it was, I think it was Phil Hartman's last movie. Um, mm. And the supporting cast just great. And the soundtrack's awesome. And it's, it's fun. Joe Dante is one of the best at fun movies. And I think this is one of his most underrated films. I love watching it all the time. And it's been one of my favorites since I was a kid. Hell yeah. Small soldiers kicks ass. Uh, I, I remember seeing this at a, at a pretty young age as well and kind of thinking, oh, this is much different than Toy Story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and it just kind of, those things are really important when you're a kid and you like watch things that are, uh, I love Toy Story to death. This is not trying to, to degrade that movie at all. It's like, it's pretty, pretty mainstream. It's pretty like by the numbers. Okay. Yeah. Like, pretty a story we've seen you know all right be yourself and rise above small soldiers is like let's just flip that upside down and and just really have some fun with it well one thing i noticed watching it uh you know after doing everything we've done with these shows is i noticed that all of tommy lee tommy lee jones dialogue is repurposed from war movies everything he says is like from Patton or from like from here to eternity or like it's all some war quote that's just been tweaked a little bit to match the situation. I love that so much. Yeah. So that's, just, yeah, that's, that's like some Rango shit where it's like, if you really love film, you'll catch that stuff, you know, <laughs> like him, just like, like chip walking in front of a puzzle of the American flag and addressing his troops and giving like half of Patton's speech. It was like, this is no kid's going to get this, but you know, film fans are going to freak out right now. Yeah, yeah. I love that. 1970 classic, fucking George C. Scott. Yeah, no, it's really, really cool. Great pick. I didn't expect that one to be here. I knew I knew you loved it. I I have a soft spot for it too. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh that might that might need to be on phone guys and at some point we could do a do a small soldiers episode. That'd be a lot of fun. Um my number five is a movie we've done on this show before. It's uh a Peter Weir classic. Uh, Truman Show, The Truman Show. Uh, Jim Carrey, I, to, in my opinion, his finest hour. Um, one of my favorite Peter Weir movies. That guy's an absolute stud, and I think he's underrated. And we talked about this movie at great length, of course. Um, or when it was, it was a while back. Now, like, I would, I would guess, like, episode fifty something would be my guess. Um, somewhere in there, fifties, sixties. And we both, you know, just were through the roof about it, you know, and somehow within an hour and like 40 minutes, this movie just crams in all this amazing information, packs just such an emotional punch. Um, it's a 10 out of 10 movie for me. I, all five of my movies are 10s. I, I love, love the Truman Show. It's hard to, there were movies I wanted to put in over it, but I was like, ah, deep down, I was like, the Truman Show is so important to kind of my, my DNA as a movie fan. and. I had to have it there, you know. Um, Jim Carrey's great, of course, but Ed Harris is unbelievable in this movie. Laura Lenny's great. 
uh, I, yeah, I adore, I adore the cast. I adore the writing. And I think Jim Carrey, like it's one of the ultimate snubs for him. You know, of course he doesn't, doesn't have a lot of love from the Academy, but this one in particular is like, man, where, where are you guys? It's like, he's, he's absolutely lights out in this movie and to not get a nomination is kind of, kind of bonkers. Uh, but this, this ceremony, the 71st Academy Awards, we'll talk about at the end of the show, uh, is just, there's a lot of mistakes in my opinion. And one of them is, is Jim Carrey not being up. Well, my number four is the Truman show. So I'll just go into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah this movie's fantastic that was such a great episode um, yeah it was it was so much fun <laughs> <laughs> i always loved jim carrey and seeing him step into drama for the first real time in this movie was great i love truman's determination to figure out just what in the hell is going on in his weird little existence he can't quite figure out i yeah. i love it like just his wife throwing you know plugs of for a, like a coffee commercial into arguments and just being like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> like, I love that. I love that Ed Harris did his role in like three days and mm. got an Oscar nomination for playing Christoph, this totalitarian, like almost dictator who has been ruling Truman's life against his will, his entire life. It, it brings up such crazy questions of like, you know, your own existence and just, I think it, like it became a, an actual mental illness for people who think that they're like, their life is a TV show. Like that's an actual mental illness that was inspired by this film, which is crazy, but kind of mm-hmm. neat. And yeah, this is just such an, a, a, a very uh, a funny film, a very dramatic film as one of the most touching endings I've ever seen. And a delight. Like if you haven't seen the Truman show, you, you're missing out. It's a real gem of Jim Carrey's career of the nineties. Just one of Peter Weir's greatest films. And that is saying something. So yeah, definitely check this out. I knew we were both yeah. going to have this one. Yeah, me too. This is one of the ones I was like, I'll be shocked if we don't both talk about it at some point. Yeah. I just, I think, I think it's a pretty genius, genius movie. It's one of those movies that had to be made, you know, uh, and it, it was just up to who's going to be in it, who's going to direct it, who's going to be in control. It could have been a piece of shit, but instead, instead, it's a total gem. And yeah, like it's, you know, I, I have, I have, I make a lot of lists on Letterboxd of like all my favorite movies from each year. And when I think 1998, this is probably one of the first two movies I think about, like just kind of in general, the year and everybody i don't see how anybody with like what pulse wouldn't like this movie it it has that going for it you know that's not what these top fives are about it's about like you said connection and but i it has that i think it can it can appeal to the masses but it also just like touches me and like reaches my soul and uh I fucking love some of the dialogue, you know, like somebody help me on being spontaneous. <laughs> I, I really, really like all that stuff. And I like how kind of creepy it is eerie. It is. I love, I love that scene when he's driving and he hears on the radio where he's about to turn and what street he's about to be on. And he's starting to put things together. And it's like, Oh man, like this is, it's like a thriller. It's so cool. Uh, it's like a horror movie at times. Like what the fuck, man, it's this guy they're really messing up this guy's head. Uh, so yeah, I adore it. Uh, so that's your number four. No, 
my number four, uh, this would come as no surprise, Wes Anderson's Rushmore, mm. his second second movie. Um, one of my one of my favorite writers. I've already referenced Adam Naiman. I might as well go ahead and reference someone else. Sean Fennessy. He's a wonderful podcaster, wonderful writer, and just a movie voice out there that I, I think people should pay attention to. He he says uh, Rushmore is one of the best movies. That's about a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, you know, you got Max Fisher, who's just completely insane and a control freak and is in love with a teacher in this movie. On paper, it's like this movie is fucked and like shouldn't work. But God, it does. It works so well it is it is Wes Anderson's coming out party. Uh, Bottle Rocket did not do very well in 1996. But there are people who did believe in the vision and believed that this guy had uh, a different different kind of touch that that needed to be tapped into so he got a little bit more money was able to make Rushmore which is yeah it's it's Jason Schwartzman playing playing a kid who's in high school who thinks he's you know fucking 40 years old and like the king of the world uh great stuff from Bill Murray great stuff from Olivia uh Olivia Williams uh all all of the kind of Satya Brian Cox is amazing in this Seymour Castle as uh Jason Schwartzman dad is an absolute dream Luke Wilson has a little bit in it towards the end. That's great. Um, oh yeah, I love Rushmore. I have I have a Rushmore poster in my fucking kitchen, you know. So um, it's one of the first Criterion editions I ever bought. It's one of the first Wes Anderson movies I saw, which I, I think that's the case for most people who are like big fans of his. Uh, it's one of those that hits you, and you're like, okay, this guy, this guy's got something that that's for me, um, and maybe. I would have to really think about this, but one of my very favorite Wes Anderson scenes ever is when Bill Murray jumps into the pool, uh, like holding, he's holding a drink, like a whiskey Coke and a, he's smoking a cigarette at the same time. And he jumps into the pool with them both in his hand. And that's great stuff. He also runs up to a child who's playing basketball and blocks his shot out of nowhere. It's just this, what the fuck? Like only Bill Murray could pull this off. So I've always loved the character of Herman Bloom. Uh, yeah, this movie, this movie fucking rules. I, I hope people, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's, it's incredible. It's super accessible, like the Truman show. So go, go, go see it. Do yourself a favor. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew this one was going to be on your list. I'm, I'm glad I decided to go ahead and just zoom through all of Wes Anderson's films back when the French dispatch came out. Just funny. It's the only time I've ever done like serious prep work for an episode that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah but aren't you glad you did it yeah i do i feel i feel like a more complete person having watched all of those movies um uh, but yeah rushmore was was interesting i at first i didn't like it at first like it, i took the entire movie for me to appreciate it which has never really happened like most of the time I, I make a decision on whether or not i like a movie or not about halfway through but this time i was kind of like weighing my options like is this a good am i liking this or not like is this good or what and by the time the film was over, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. Uh, okay. I feel that. I feel that. I think it, I think it does take you on a journey of, yeah, of like what the, what the fuck am I watching? And then, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, at first I hated this kid, this obnoxious asshole. Who's like lusting after a teacher and trying to sabotage what could be a healthy relationship. And <laughs> like, but at the end, you know, he kind of realizes like, you know, life goes on. And I, I like that. But at the same time, you're like, this kid's probably going to kill somebody down the road. 
Like, this is yeah, not a healthy a human t- being. <laughs> no, he is a freak of nature. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's so good, and he's kind of like a prototype for Wes Anderson characters. These uh, like obsessed, almost possessed characters that are just so about what they're doing and kind of their world and getting everybody on board. Like you have to be on board with my vision. You know, it's cool. It's like super, super interesting. And, and it's, you know, uh, Wes Anderson went to a private school in Houston. Um, and this is a private school that he goes to uh, Max Fisher. So you can see kind of the, like he's, he's getting some stuff off his chest, I think about that experience. And uh, I, I love that about Wes. Well, he, he, he also has, there's a few things that happen that are about to happen over and over throughout his movies, even in the French dispatch, like at the beginning of the film, there's the like montage of all the different, um, what do you fucking call them? Uh, different like clubs that Max Fisher's in oh, the extracurriculars. Yes, correct. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been in school. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and making time by the creation great band is playing. It's like, bam, bam, bam. And, and it's showing all the different, you know, he's like in the beekeepers. He's part of like, the mathletes and all these different things that he does uh, such like a genius touch, a great character development within two minutes. And Wes Anderson's like, has always been, in my opinion, the king of that, of pairing like good pop rock music from the sixties with, you know, any era of time. So I, I love that. He's, he's just so, so fucking good at that. And it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Rushmore is, yeah, it's like very dear to my heart, and it might not even be one of my five favorite Wes Anderson movies, but Jesus Christ, do I love it! <laughs> well, I feel like Wes Anderson for you. I feel like a top five is a I constantly shifting entity. Like sometimes it's Rushmore's there, sometimes it's not. Sometimes Grand Budapest is number one, sometimes it's number two. Like he's just that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think Grand Budapest is pretty clearly his best movie. Um, overall, it's just like, dude, this guy's at the top of his game. But like, my favorite's Ball Rocket. I just have so <laughs> much fun. I have so much fun watching Ball Rocket, and I'm a huge Darjeeling fan. Which Darjeeling gets some shit, I, and I understand it. I hear it wholeheartedly. But I, I have a fucking blast watching that movie. Uh, yeah, but I, yeah, like you said, I love them all. I mean, I even love The French Dispatch. So it's one of my favorite movies of last year. And some people were saying that's lower tier Wes Anderson. That's fine. I still, I love them all. Yeah. Lower tier Wes Anderson is still like, you know, light years away from what a lot of modern filmmakers are going to be able to ever do in their career. So, you know, sure. I'll take it. Yeah. Miss me with that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. So you're, you're number three. What do you got? My number three, another film that I've loved since I was a kid. And as I've grown up, I've realized how, socially problematic this film is and it's going to feature heavily in the thesis i'm going to be writing and constantly plugging throughout this podcast because that's going to be the next two or three years of my life but um the mask of zorro Ooh, okay all right this film features anthony hopkins playing a spaniard named diego de la vega that alone is is pretty fucked up uh but you've also got Catherine Zeta-Jones, also Welsh, playing his daughter, Elena, and putting on a pretty uh, thick Spanish accent. <laughs> and ouch. Uh, this was 98. We should have known better. However, we have Antonio <laughs> Banderas as Zorro, and he fucking rules. This, this movie 
is fun, exciting. And, you know, Zorro, to, to me, you know, the predecessor to Batman. So obviously I have some love for this character. Uh, James Horner's score is so epic and exciting and, you know, fun, built on like flamenco dancing and like Spanish music. And it's so cool. And ultimately it's a revenge thriller. And, you know, so, mm. uh, soldier kills Antonio Banderas' brother. He trains to be Zorro so we could fuck this guy up. That's what it is. That's the whole movie. And I, I used to just, I had it on tape as a kid and I used to just put it on, watch it, rewind it, watch it again all day. <laughs> I've always loved the mask of Zorro. I know it's got issues. I, it's, it's upsetting, you know, the way it kind of spit in the face of representation. But I do think it's a film that is worth watching is if you can accept those mistakes and it's still worth it for Antonio Banderas, epic performance as Zorro and for the story. So yeah, I'll, I'll defend this movie, even though I know it's got problems. I like that. I like that. You're willing to go to bat for it. Yeah. I, I, I was looking at my letterbox and I, I thought about this movie and I was like, man, I need to revisit this because, because of those reasons. And because I love revenge tales. Two Oscar nominations. Just want to yeah. say that. Yeah, there you go. 98's got got a bunch of random ones. That that's a good call. Uh, my my number three is actually a movie I just watched for the first time, like a few, like maybe a week ago. I don't I don't recommend uh, doing this for your top five, but I, I was pretty pretty floored by this movie, and it's it's a Danish film, and it. Uh, was actually, I really wish it would have been nominated because I would fucking love to do it on the show. It was, it was uh, uh, entered as the Danish, you know, like representative for the Oscars from, from this year, but it didn't make the cut because, you know, only five foreign films make the cut and uh, you can't have every country. So that's just like, the, that's the nature of that category and how it's like, oh man, this, we're missing out on a lot of great movies that we could be exposed to. Um, I was... I wanted to watch uh, some different 1998 films this week, this week leading up to a simple plan just for fun, you know, just like, Oh, let's just check out more stuff. Like why not? Uh, so I watched a movie <clears throat> that my friend at work recommended called SLC punk. Great movie. Like by far away, my favorite Matthew Lillard performance. He's amazing in that movie. That's a cool ass movie. Didn't quite make the cut. i watched a Japanese movie called afterlife that blew me away. I had such a cool premise of, People, when you die, you go to this kind of limbo state. And during that limbo state, there's workers that basically try to help you pick one memory from your life to take to the afterlife. <laughs> and it is so cool. And the way they recreated it is they, they do it on film. They film it and they give, you, they give you that tape to take with you to the afterlife. And that's like all you have, you know, is like this one memory. And so you get to choose and you get to kind of like be your own director and it was such a, like, oh my God, it was such an emotional, amazing movie with all these, uh, like, huge, huge ideas packed into it. That movie almost made the cut, but I was like, I can't take out Truman Show. But then I watched this movie called The Celebration, directed by Thomas Venterberg, one of my favorite wow. guys these days. <laughs> um, this movie is not only incredibly, incredibly filmed and is like a proper piece of filmmaking, it's fucking dark as hell very funny and has some unbelievable performances. Uh, my favorite being Thomas Bo Larson, who's amazing in another round and amazing in the hunt. Uh, he plays one of the main characters in the celebration. Uh, it's, it's a movie about 
this uh, father, he's turning 60 and he owns this estate. It's like a hotel and he's having a party. So he invites, you know, his family and all of his friends to this party. And when I tell you that this is like one of the most athletic pieces of filmmaking where the camera is just on a swivel and is moving around where you have no, you like, you're like, you have like a headache by the end of it. You're like, Oh my God, this, this is crazy. It's this like just jaunt that you have to go through. And it, it made me laugh like a fucking hyena the same way, you know, some of like those Cohen movies do where you're like, what the fuck? This is so fucked up. But then there were times where I was like, I was borderline about to cry the same way I do with some Cohen films where I'm like, Jesus, this is like way too realistic. And I was like, I have to include it. This movie hit me so hard. I have to include it in my top five. It's a movie I'll take to the fucking grave with me. I love it so much. And it, I, I carry a lot of importance when a movie kind of opens a whole other door for me. And this movie is, uh, people call it dogma number one. Because in 1995, Thomas Vinterberg and Lars von Trier, uh, Lars von Trier, sorry, they started a movement called Dogma 95. And it was basically a code between the two filmmakers and some other, um, some other foreign filmmakers of, hey, let's stick to our guns. Let's not conform to anything that's happening around us in Hollywood or different industries. Let's make films that we want to make. And let's stay true to that code for as long as we make movies. And so... They wrote a whole manifesto. It's incredible. You can find it online. These guys like wrote this thing that's super captivating about the, the immersion that should happen when you're making a movie and the experience that it should be, that it should be this thing that scares you and frightens you and makes you laugh and has all those emotions packed into it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. So I'm like, now I have all these other movies I need to watch because I didn't really know about this. And the celebration is the first proper dogma movie from that movement. And I didn't even know that till after I watched it, you know, and I was like, this movie just opened up the floodgates for me. I finally have a reason to go into Lars uh, von Trier's career. I haven't really, really dug into his stuff yet. And it gives me a more of a reason to go back and watch all of Vinterberg's stuff, not just, you know, the newer stuff that's critically acclaimed. It's like, no, this is like a filmmaker. I truly appreciate. And because of that, I, I, I simply have to include it. It is so good. And Connor, you got to check this movie out, man. It's on Criterion right now. Um, I just, I highly recommend the celebration. The Danish um, title is Festen, F-E-S-T-E-N. Um, please, yeah, please go watch it. It is, it is so impactful. And I don't think it's completely up everybody's alley as far as the way it's made, but the story is like, holy shit. This is good. It puts that that show succession. It makes succession look like a little child compared to what's happening in the celebration and how intense it is and how funny it is. Um, it's just incredible performances. I don't want to speak about it too much as far as what really happens in the plot, but let's just say things go awry quickly. <laughs> well, thanks to you. I, I was introduced to Thomas Vinterberg and I absolutely adored another round and the hunt. So I've, yeah, I'll check this out 100%. Yeah, it's, it's great, man. I, I was like, oh, I'll watch some 1998 movies just for fun. Not thinking one of them would be like, no, let me sneak in that top five. It's like, fuck, now I got to cut out movies I love. You know, I got to cut out He Got Game? What the fuck? Like, this sucks. <laughs> Damn, this, this carved out He Got Game, huh? That was, that was the one you had to cut? Y- yeah, well, 
yeah, there's a few. I mean, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of A Bug's Life. I'm a huge fan of Kirku and the Sorceress. Uh, there's some others I won't say yet because I don't want to step on yours. But yeah, I I love 1998. So, but He Got Game was probably going to be number five. Yeah. Damn. That all right? This movie must really have something. Yeah, it it, it ruined me for a whole day. I was like, Christ. <laughs> Killer. Uh, so that's that's to my two then. Yes, that was my number three. So yeah, here we go. Two and one. What do we got? My number two should come as no surprise. If you know me, you know how much I love Blade. Okay. Yeah. So Blade was also one that would probably be my top 10. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say that. <laughs> this is the the true start of Marvel's uh, entry into superhero film. You, uh, yep. You could definitely point it back to there, man. Yeah. Yeah. After, I mean, they had nothing prior to this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unless you count that really weird made for like made for TV 1990 Captain America movie with J.D. Salinger's kid, which I don't think anybody does. Nah, I didn't even know that happened. <laughs> I know. Uh, Blade is a perfect vampire movie, a perfect superhero movie and a perfect action movie. It's everything. And yeah. Wesley Snipes just was born to play Blade. And it's also the only thing I've ever enjoyed Stephen Dorff in because he doesn't really do much. Uh, uh, I've also found it funny that a couple of years ago he was like given Black Widow shit. He's like, you know, superhero movies are nothing. It's all just, you know, fanfare and empty, empty movies. And I'm like, motherfucker, you were in Blade. Yeah. That's <laughs> you were like Deacon crowning, Frost. Shut the fuck up. That's your like crowning achievement. Yeah. It's yeah. like, is that Nino Brown? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, Chris Christopherson kills it as Whistler. I never would have thought, you know, I would ever buy a mentor mentee relationship between Chris Christopherson and Wesley Snipes, but here we are. Uh, and it's incredibly violent. Uh, I love that yep. Marvel's first real superhero movie is like has people exploding, has ridiculously violent, you know, blood and like viscera and just amazing gore effects. And as much as I love this movie, the reason it's here in number two is because I think this has the greatest opening scene in film history. Oh, let's go. Just a, some douchebag and his girl are driving through. I think it's supposed to be New York. And they're, you know, she's like, I got a surprise for you. They go to some nightclub and a meat factory and they're just dancing around. And everyone's giving this guy the side eye. The music's pumping. And all of a sudden, blood starts shooting from the ceiling and you realize, holy shit, he's the only human being in that room. <laughs> it's just vampires. And he is, he's, he's a snack. The way they did that with the music and the buildup and the, you know, you see Steven Dorff just for a second. You don't even know who he is yet. You know, Donald Logue's over there getting blown and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And then the blood hits and you're just like, Oh my God. And then blade shows up with no blood and starts fucking people up. How do you not immediately love this movie? It is yeah. so good. And the final fight scene with like the blood God, the, you know, some other fuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. I love that line. And then he just kicks the fucking syringe right between his eyes. This is one of the most badass movies ever made. Uh, yeah. I love blade to death. It's such a epic movie. I'm excited to see what Mahershala Ali brings to the role, but this, this is Wesley Snipes, his role. Like he'll always be blade. Yeah, I agree. I, I, yeah, I love Ali just as much as the next guy, but, Snipes. I mean, this is what Snipes is born to do. Uh, 
Yeah, Blade. I, I I figured that would be in yours. Yeah, so I, I definitely want to step on it. I love this movie. Definitely somewhere in my top ten. Uh, I'd have to really look at it, but yeah, the movie is just so goddamn good. And it's, it's it's one that we've we've both kind of kind of brought up at random points on on like on different shows. I remember we did we did New Jack City, right? We did New Jack. Uh, we did Blade, and we did New Jack City as the bonus. That's when we were still doing right. that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was a, God, it was a long time ago. And just like, oh my God, what a cool one-two punch. Um, I, th- I think those, two, I love those two roles. And then uh, his role as Sidney Dean in White Men Can't Jump is like, oh my God, this is just a movie star performance. Uh, he's, he's incredible in that with Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I love Snipes. Uh, you know, Mahershala Ali is kind of a completely different type of beast when it comes to like performing and uh, he's he's gotten all kinds of you know critical acclaim and success and awards and he's already got two Oscar wins under his belt so he's a just a completely different animal. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Snipes kind of owns this until it's completely snatched away from him, and I don't see that happening. So great pick, fucking Blade, awesome movie. Another one of those that when I think 1998, it's like Blade. <laughs> yeah, that's Blade. That my number one of the first two films I think of. Yeah, I think we have the same number one. Um, I figured we would. Uh, my number two, this should come as just no, no surprise if you know me. It's 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 uh, John Dahl's Rounders. Probably my, not probably, it is my favorite poker movie of all time. One of my favorite gambling movies of all time. It's just, it's the only movie that I genuinely like from John Dahl. And John Dahl was actually, I think, the first guy that was chosen to direct uh, a simple plan, but instead did rounders. So it's like, thank God that happened. Thank God. The movie, the movie Lords were with us in 1998 when that was happening. I'm sure uh, this is rounders is, is it is for me. Like, movie. I, I know it's not this, you know, apex of filmmaking or like, it's, it's just, it's just so much goddamn fun. And it has Matt Damon and Edward Norton at such an interesting point in their careers where they're about to just about to take off and become these incredible actors, uh, you know, fresh off of, you know, goodwill hunting for, for Damon and, and Edward Norton's about to be in fight club. You know, they're both, they're about to just kind of take over. And I love those two characters They're I often think about them. And of course, John Malkovich giving one of the most audacious, ridiculous performances as Teddy KGB, uh, you know, with the Oreos and the the wild accent that he's going for, it just it just fucking works. You know, John Turturro is great in this movie. Uh, Martin Landau is in this movie. Like, what the fuck? Like, why? I don't know, but he's great. Uh, I my number one is definitely the movie I've seen the most, but then it's Rounders, and that's kind of why I went with it. It's just it's like comfort food to me. I I throw it on. I immediately am smiling the whole way through. Um, fucking love rounders i i i I hear people who are like oh this isn't like an oscar worthy movie i don't really care that's fine don't really give a shit i love rounders it's a 10 out of 10 just fucking movie that's made made for me right up my alley yeah i i almost had rounders myself but i had to be honest i i like small soldiers a lot more but that's just you know I, that's not that's nothing wrong with rounders that's just yeah me. yeah it's totally fine uh, yeah and i knew you were gonna have it so i knew we were gonna talk about it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i rounders can't kicks not ass. have it 
Rounders yeah. is one of the best poker movies, maybe the best poker movie ever made. Uh, so much fun and just a delightful movie. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Casino Royale is obviously going for something completely different. Its poker scenes are so, so good and so dark and scary. But Rounders is like the more like, this is what it's like to be a poker player. Yeah. Casino Royale is like, I mean, you're not getting into that room, you know, like you, you have to be, yeah. you have to be a completely, you have to be like a one percenter to get into a room like that to play poker. Rounders is more about the player. It's a player's player movie. Yeah. And Mike McDee and Worm are like, those guys are everywhere. Yeah. Casino Royale is a Bond movie that deals with poker. Rounders yeah. is a poker movie. It's, it's about 100%. poker. hundred percent. And yeah, you know, Damon and Norton working together to take take KG Teddy KGB for a ride is so yeah. I love Malkovich's commitment to that accent. It's it's beautiful. Uh. <laughs> it's crazy how it works. It's one of the most absurd. It's you you've seen Anaconda, right? Yeah. Yes. So John Voight doing that stupid crazy accent is like that doesn't quite work. But for some reason, Malkovich in Rounders it works. I can't explain it. It's because it's Malkovich. Like that dude could put on any voice and we believe it. He just has it's it's commitment straight up. John Voigt looked like he would rather be anywhere else. But Malkovich was like, I- I'm gonna play a Russian. Okay, give me five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me go into the restroom and just kind of work this out on my own and I'll, I'll come back in a second. Yeah. I, I do think I do think uh 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 California Split, Robert Altman, 1974, is a like incredible poker movie. Kind of shows the nastiness of that 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 like uh, that degenerate fucking like I gotta play. Owning Mahoney is like mm. I got I gotta fucking play. You know, <laughs> I, I uncut gems messes with a different type of gambling, but man, I love movies that go to that that like nasty side of. I'm not going to tell anybody about this that cares about me because I look like a goddamn fool right now, you know, and, yeah. and worm is worm is in rounders is uh, Edward Norton's character is very much a fool and is like a sucker for the game. And Mike McDee's like, why do I have to be so good at this? <laughs> you know, why do I have to be such a good poker player? But he loves it, man. You know, when he's in the thick of it, he fucking loves it. Um, God rounders is great. I, I could talk about it forever. Yeah, I I think we should do that on on Filmgasm at some point. Regrettably, it doesn't have any Oscar nominations, but yeah, we could, yeah. Like Filmgasm's a goddamn you know free for all playground at this point. Bring it on. Yeah, there, I, look. I, obviously, we love the Oscars. We love a lot of the movies that get nominated. But at some same time, I'm like, no, no, no. This one's for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you and your Academy and your people. Your old white guys voting on movies. Rounders is for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so number one, I'm pretty sure we're both in the same ballpark here. Uh, it doesn't get any better than Lebowski. Actually, I went with uh, Mulan here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lebowski is like it's not even a question. I was going to try to fool you into thinking it was Rush Hour, but I, I couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> Rush Hour is great, but yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this. I mean, what more can be said? The Big Lebowski is one of the greatest films of all time. It's maybe probably my favorite comedy. It's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. And it's it's hilarious. And it's it's timeless. It never gets old. I could watch this movie all day and still laugh. 
and it's just a great character study, a great weird kind of neo-noir Chinatown with a stoner kind of movie. It's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, Jesus, you know, I, I don't even have the words anymore. For, for This is one of those movies definitely up in the, the upper echelon of, of my favorite movies of all time. And for those reasons, of course, like uh, the things that it combines, the characters it's dealing with, the actors that they, they chose for it, uh, the soundtrack, Christ almighty, uh, the, the kind of abruptness of it is one of my favorite things about it where they're, you know, I think a lot of movies can have symbolism and take forever to fucking talk about it. Big Lebowski's like takes one minute for them to be like, this is what this is about. This is what these characters represent. This is what these characters represent. And you just got, you just start kind of going with it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those where it's like, I don't even know what to say anymore. It's like, in my mind, it's just so perfect. I don't need to kind of justify it to anybody in my, in my head. When I, when I'm watching the Big Lebowski is, a, is about as happy as I can get is about as comfortable as I can get. Um, and it doesn't really need to be any kind of special scenario. It's like, it could be 1 a.m. on a Monday night and I'm like, oh, I still the big Lebowski on. I can't sleep. And I'm, that's like one of the best moments of my week. And for, for that reason, it's like head and shoulders above these other movies. Uh, there's just, there's just no question. You know, I, I think you and I, when we were like, let's do a top five, 1998, we both knew we didn't talk about it, but we both knew we're going to be able to talk about big Lebowski for a little bit. And that's always, that's always fun. But yeah, it, it is, it is one of those where it's like when people are like, Oh, like, like one at one through 10, like, what would you rate? It's like, well, I, I, 15. I don't know. I don't even know anymore. I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's just in my mind, it's like one of the most perfect American movies I ever. And, and I, I adore everything about it. So it's, it's one of those two, when I start talking about it, I, I'm like, I think I, I want to go watch it now. So, um, because the, the only place that I can go to explain my feelings about it is watching it. <laughs> I, and yeah. yeah, that's the best. That's the best. I thing. think I quote this movie more than I quote anything else. I will randomly just throw out like, you know, you're killing your father, Larry, and things like yeah. that. Just the yeah. randomness of this movie. Over the line. Just, it, it's just comfort food. It's part of it's part of me now. Yeah. Yeah, I say I say market an eight, dude. Like a lot, like to, to where it's like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even it, it doesn't even flow with the conversation that other people are having. They're like, what? <laughs> if I find myself like, you know, explaining something and someone wasn't paying attention or something, I will randomly either throw out "Shut the fuck up, Donnie," or "Life does not stop and start at your convenience, you miserable piece of shit." Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, oh, it's perfect. You know, I am the, the- walrus. <laughs> everything i can get you a toe <laughs> yeah yeah i'm 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 gonna i'm gonna finish my coffee i'm not going anywhere uh i yeah I, I, john goodman in that movie like walter is top i don't top three favorite movie characters for me of all time i i, I really I, I don't know i've never really really done that exercise but if i were thinking of characters off the top of my head he's one of the first few that that come to my head i i'm obsessed with john goodman's performance in that movie it's the definition of lights out oh without a doubt i think this is one of the first movies that we bonded over so this is this has always been a a special part of our friendship this movie 
And yeah, I wouldn't have yeah. it either way. Yeah, the Coens were, I think, the first filmmakers, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about because the Coens, there's, there's, and I guess we can go into it. There's like, there's multiple sides of being a Cohen fan and like kind of appreciating what they've done. There's kind of the, and I don't mean to like degrade people, but there's a surface level Cohen fan who's like, yeah, dude, the Big Lebowski, like stoner movie. It's like, not really, not really. Like, fuck that. Like, when I see a Big Lebowski poster and it's at like, some fucking frat house and like the guys don't even understand what they're watching. I kind of get angry and I'm, it's like someone who wears a Bob Marley shirt and can only name like three songs by Bob Marley. It's like, fuck you. You don't get it. You're not, you're not really trying to understand the movie or the music or whatever the art, what it represents. The Lebowski is saying so much more, you know? And then they're, it's the same guys who are like, what's Miller's crossing, you know? And you're like, fuck you like it's just it's one of those kind of like i hate to be superior but i can't help it <laughs> when it comes to the coens it's like there's their their filmography is so deep and has so much connection to it to it you know there's things that are just intertwining over and over with their filmography and it's so special um i, I can't stand like that surface level and then there's people who are freaks like us where it's like, we should probably fucking slow down. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're like, you know, take your foot off the gas just a little bit. A serious man is not that good, Austin. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, you know, who hurt you? But I, I, I'm definitely in that latter category where it's like, I, I kind of stand and die by those guys and what they've done. There's like eight of their movies that I see as, like damn near masterpieces and Lebowski and no country would be at the top of I, I like, if you're not, if you don't really get this, I don't really understand what you're watching. Um, those movies are like revolutionary on a whole different level. So yeah. Love the dudes to death. There was no doubt in my mind. Lebowski was going to be the movie we talked about here at the end. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt. It's long overdue that we, we finally brought this to to filmgasm i just i don't know what's holding us back we get we'll, we'll do it at some point probably this year because it's because we know it's like it's like a holy grail type movie it's like it's why i've held off so long on some of my favorite movies from oscar sunday it's like like i it's like that sigh of like i gotta really go into this because i i, I like my voice is gonna be gone by the end of the episode yeah. Talking about Big Lebowski, you know, and it's gonna be like a three and a half hour episode of us just pretty much reciting the script. <laughs> yeah, it could definitely be that, you know. But I, I, I would love to like to like really structure something and really figure out how how to go about an episode about the Big Lebowski. Because yeah, we like you said, we could go on for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was fun. Um, yeah, good list. Uh, give me give me a recap of your. Okay. Uh, number five, Small Soldiers. Number four, The Truman Show. Number three, The Mask of Zorro. Number two, Blade. Number one, The Big Lebowski. Nice. Love it. Love it. What was the hardest one to cut? Oh, I, you know, admittedly, I think it was Rounders. That, okay. I really liked that movie and I really wanted it there, but I, it's like Small Soldiers. I, I can't help it. What about, what about A Simple Plan? It's Where good. That at? Um, Simple Plan's good. I don't think it quite makes my maybe my top like fifteen. It's it's good, but I I don't know if I'll 
I'll probably watch it again, but I don't know if I'm going to count it among like an echelon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think it's somewhere in my top 10. I wrote down 12 essentially honorable mention movies, which would be He Got Game, Mulan. I love Mulan, SLC Punk, Afterlife, Prince of Egypt. I'm obsessed with Prince of Egypt. Uh, Croupier, awesome, fucking another good gambling movie about the dealer from the dealer's perspective. Blade, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas, fucking love that movie. Uh, American History X, A Bug's Life, and Kirikou and the Sorceress, and then A Simple Plan. So yeah, I, I could do like a top 20 and I would be comfortable. Uh, I love this year. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's fantastic. But <laughs> I came down to number five, The Truman Show. Number four, Rushmore. Number three, The Celebration. Number two, Rounders. And number one, The Big Lebowski. So we nice. had, yeah, we had the two, Big Lebowski and Truman Show, I figured we both have. Yeah, very nice. Not really a lot of surprises on either on either front, really. We, I, I figured what what was in your your top five, apart from the celebration because I didn't know about that one, but I was like Rounders, Lebowski, like yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, Rushmore, yeah. of course. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've got I've got Cohen's. I've got fucking poker. I've got a fucking international uh, uh, foreign film I just watched. <laughs> Wes Anderson and Peter Weir makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's. You know, you can read me like a book there. So, uh, but yeah, this is, this is, I love doing these, these year ones is where we get to talk about the most different kind of filmmakers. You know, when you do a top five of an actor or a director, it's like, obviously you're staying kind of in the same conversation, but with this, I felt like we got to really reflect on why the year is so special to us. Um, a bug's life is the first movie I saw in theaters. You know, I was, you know, it's three years old. And don't remember much of it, but I've always been told, like, yeah, that was the first movie you saw in theaters. So pretty cool. My parents were pretty irresponsible. They took me to the theater when I was one, which they shouldn't have yeah. done. But no, I no. I think you need to be like five before you go. Yeah. According to them, it was uh, the live action 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> so <laughs> that's 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 awesome. the first movie I, I saw in theaters, according to my mom. <laughs> Fantastic. Good movie. <laughs> Oh man, I love that. Uh, so a, a simple plan. I'm glad you glad you liked it. Glad you want to rewatch it. It is it is a movie that that benefits from uh, multiple watches, just like a lot of rainy stuff. You know, you you gain a deeper appreciation for what he's doing and kind of the style he's going for with each movie. With a simple plan, uh, similar to any movie that's like about greed, you kind of catch on to things that are they're telling you what's going to happen. At the very beginning of the movie, they're they're telling you, you know, oh man, this is this is going to go south pretty quick, and I, I love movies that do that that reward you for rewatching it. Uh, I, I I I give it a nine. I really like a simple plan. Um, it's probably one of my top. It's definitely one of my top five Raimi films. I would have to really figure out the order because I love the first two Spider Mans. Of course, Evil Dead Two is like a you know just an absolute classic. Army of Darkness fucking rules drag me to hell fucking rules it's it's hard but it's somewhere in that top five i hmm, i think what it comes down to for me is i i didn't it didn't feel like that much of a raimi film to me it nope it's a movie he directed but it doesn't like there's no you know the i know what you mean i know exactly what you mean (laughs) trying to explain it's like his 90s run for instance starts with dark man then you've got army of darkness then you got the quick and the dead. And mm. then you got a simple plan. It's like this, the trajectory doesn't match here. 
Like where's no. the, the weirdness of, of a simple plan? Like there should be so much more wacky shit in this movie. But then again, you know, maybe Raimi was trying to, you know, trying a new flavor, which is fine. Uh, and I, like I said, I didn't hate it. I, I did like it. It's an eight for me. Uh, I think I just, once I realized like, oh, this is a more restrained film, I had to kind of change my mindset and then look for other stuff. Which yeah. was fine. I just, I, you know, I, I see Sam Raimi's name attached and I'm like, oh, this is going to be fucking odd, but I'm going to like it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I definitely think that's the case with, with him. He's one of those, those names that it's like a Cronenberg. It's like, okay, I know I'm going into something. It's going to be really violent, really nasty, really dark. It's going to be something, you know, it's going to be genre filmmaking and it's going to be, it's going to have that Cronenberg touch on it, whether it's, you know, something with Vigo Mortensen where it's just like gritty and fucking you know, like hardcore or it's going to be nasty like his 70s stuff. So uh, yeah, it's I, like, I, I love, I love that. Like I'm either going to see the inside of a monkey or I'm going to see a man bear his soul. Yeah. Like yeah. One of those is going to happen today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with Raimi, it's like, I'm going to either see, you know, Bruce Campbell do some cool shit or I'm going to see Toby Maguire do some cool shit. <laughs> I was also I, I was bummed I didn't see Bruce Campbell. Like, yeah, where was he? Yeah, sucks, man. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. No, I kind of like that. It's like an outlier of his of his uh, his stuff. It, to me, it's kind of like you know, kind of like how people treat Jackie Brown for Tarantino's career. They're like, mm. it's not Tarantino enough. It's like, well, it's a it's a novel he's adapting. That's there's good. only so there's only so far you can go with that. But I fucking love Jackie Brown. You know, I've always cited it as probably that and Pulp Fiction are my two favorite, two favorite uh, films of his. And I, I like when a filmmaker can, can do that. Can just like, Whoa, what? Like this is him too. And I like when people aren't so boxed in and I think it's really cool. What I do think is like crazy about a simple plan is I completely forgot the score is composed by Danny fucking Elfman, you know? And I was like, man, he's underused here. <laughs> he's, he's such a like, grand um you know like chaotic fucking incredible composer and with a simple plan it's like hey man let's do some fargo shit and call it a day you know it's like danny elfman's better than that i mean i love some of the score i think it's really like eerie and and matches what's going on but danny elfman is is just like a freak of nature when it comes to to making music and he you know he does he does those batman those you know tim bird batman movies and it's like oh my god like this is fucking lights out just you know operatic stuff and then this is just different so it takes like a certain taste i think if you know about Ramy, if you know about elfman and you know about bill paxton this guy's a freak in so many movies in the 80s and 90s you know he's the guy in aliens who's a fucking he's the guy in near dark severin who's like losing his mind uh it's cheap but he's playing like an all-american guy who's like ah shit i'm into some trouble you know and that's just, it, it's just different, but I don't know. I, I, I dig it. I dig, I dig the simple plan a lot. It's kind of, it's kind of right up my alley. Fair enough. Uh, and, you know, good point that it is an adaptation of a novel. So it is going to have more of that guy's flavor than it is Ramey, especially since the guy's adapting his own book. Uh, Correct. Yeah. There yeah he's not, he's not going to fuck with it too much. Uh, Scott. Yeah. yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I also do love that Elfman is Burton's guy and he's Raimi's guy. I, I love that that became a partnership. He, he does the score for the new Doctor Strange, too, and it's one of his best. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's like he, he's that's what he's capable of is doing massive, big budget, big scale 
wild stuff with the music. And then him doing this is like, huh, sounds like Carter Burwell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That probably wasn't an accident. I bet Ramey saw Fargo and was like, I could probably do that. I can, I think I could throw my hat into the ring. Yeah. I, I like Fargo and a simple plan about equally Fargo, probably just a bit more, I guess, smidge more, but a simple plan, man, it's got some cool performances in it. Oh yeah. I, I love seeing character actors in leading roles and Bill mm. Paxton getting to own a movie was really cool. Especially since we see this guy essentially sell his soul over the course of the film uh, just what he, you know, I love that the tagline is like sometimes good people do evil things. It's yeah. a great tagline and yeah. just defines the film so perfectly. Just watching these three guys lose who they are so drastically. It's, it's mm. great. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Well, normally on Oscar Sunday, we, we kind of do things differently, but I wanted to kind of, you know, we're into a new 100. Uh, we, we just did sounds of the lambs. That was an absolute blast. We're into like a new, I don't want to say a new phase because we're doing the same shit. We're talking about movies. We're praising them, doing top fives, doing drafts. We're always going to have fun on this show. But I do want to change change how we do things a bit. Uh, you know, we're talking about a simple plan. I want to go ahead and jump right into the awards and talk about like our favorite things from a simple plan before we go to the to the uh, ceremony. I want to finish with the ceremony. I want to leave that as kind of like the end of the episode. I want this the the, the meat of this episode. I want I want to get into the awards quicker for our listeners and for us to just not be stepping on our own toes and let's just dig right in. So, you know, you know, the drill, we have the Quentin Tarantino award for best quote of the movie. A lot of good stuff in here. We have the Ennio Morricone award for best music moment. Again, that's Denny Elfman's score. And there's a little bit of a soundtrack here. So, you know, you can go with a needle drop if you want. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for the best performance of the movie, which I think is very tough to choose. Uh, and then we have the Roger Deakins Award for Best Scene of the Movie. So I'll let you take it away with your Tarantino. Uh, rarely. Uh, I mean, it's a rare occasion here. I only have one. How about that? A true Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think going forward, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little more selective. I, I like the way you do it, like really trying to narrow it down to one. I'm going to try to do that, too. That doesn't, um, mean, we can't, that doesn't mean we can't riff on uh, different yeah. quotes from the movie. But of course. when you're giving an award out, you know. We never have two deacons. We never have two PSHs. Exactly. Like, how would I feel if at the Oscars, like every other award, they're like two or three people show up and are like, you're all winners today. Yeah. Like, it feels like it's a, you know, a child soccer game sometimes. So I'm going to go ahead and try to <laughs> work on that. You get a ribbon. You get a ribbon. You get a ribbon. Participation. Exactly. And I, fuck, I can't stand that. <laughs> winners are winners and losers are losers. They both exist. We got to remember that. This is true. This is true. Uh, so my line comes from right about when they find the money and it's mm. uh, Lou trying to convince Hank to take the money. And he no. tells, no way. Lou, no, no. Lou is so good. This is Lou, not the one I have. Okay. But Lou, Brent Briscoe is awesome in this movie. He's such an asshole. Like just the worst parts of a human being. And like you wonder, like, why the fuck is Jacob hanging out with this guy? Like, does he know. resent his brother that much that he hangs out with his exact opposite? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but and um, where are where are Hank's friends? Like, do you not have any friends? Like, <laughs> I don't think he does. I think he's very much you know a reserved like I'm not going to be here forever. So why lay roots kind of guy? Yeah, that's the vibe fuck. I got. Like, I'm only going to be here another. 
six months. And he says, he tells himself that every like, you know, 10 years, like it's just another six months. Like, yeah, he doesn't want to be here forever. Why, why, why lay roots? Um, but Lou tells him to get him to take the money. He says, it's the American dream in a goddamn gym bag. Mm. And I love I just, that line. Yeah, it's great. It's like, yeah, this is what we all want. But as we see the film progress, like, is this really what we want? Like, is this a gift? Seems way more like a curse. Uh, but I just love that that was, you know, it's the American dream in a goddamn gym bag. Hot damn. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. I love that bit. Cause then you, I think Hank is like, you know, basically saying like, no, it's not, it's stolen. And then lose like, then it's better. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like, uh, <laughs> I love how they keep fucking... like euphemizing. It. It's like, it's not stolen. It's lost money. Like yeah. we just found this. It's not our fault. We didn't steal this. We just happened upon it. It's such, you know, mm. rationalization. It's, it's great. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant pick. I think Lou has some like amazing lines in this movie. Uh, and he's great. Um, I'll be talking about him later with my deacons for sure. It's kind of a, he's a big part of my deacons. Um, <laughs> my Tarantino goes to, it's, it's at the beginning, towards the beginning of the film, after they, after they find the money and uh, Hank convinces them, let me take it home. I'll watch over it, which is so fucking insane from Jacob and Lou's perspective. Like, why would you do that? Like, are you fucking, I would be like, give me my million now. Or I'm like, I'm ruining this for everybody. Let's just cut it three ways now. And let's get it. Let's get out of here. You know, uh, type thing. But they decide like, oh, like, what if someone's coming for it? It's like, well, you already have decided you're taking it. So you're fucked either way. Um, when Hank decides to take it home and then he goes to his wife, played, played wonderfully by Bridget Fonda, uh, who's really the catalyst of this movie. Yeah, she's the one. She's the one who's fucking playing, you know, puppet master the whole time and turns everybody. After she has a baby, she's like, "We gotta get, <laughs> we gotta get Jacob to go against Lou." You know, like you just had a baby. Fucking chill out, you know. Uh, but she's she's amazing. This movie plays Sarah. So Hank goes home, explains to Sarah like this hypothetical, right? And uh, you know, Sarah's like, "Well, you know, if if you're talking about this this so called, you know." money that you found like like where you know whose money was it before and hank's like a bank robbers and he's like oh she's like oh so it's the bank's money and he's like all right no it's a drug dealers and she was like hank i mean this is really silly obviously you want me to say something in particular i don't know what it is but you want me to agree with you or say that you're right or something but i wouldn't take it that's just me i wouldn't mm. and then he pour- and then he pours the money on the table and she's like she turns into a fucking demon you know and yeah. is like you know just becomes possessed by this by this paper by this by this cash and that really hank not hiding it from her turns this movie into a whole different thing turns this whole story on its head where now it's not just the three guys who found it now sarah is like no no no, no. i like i want this money this is our money now let's keep it for ourselves and like we already have it here like what else do we need to do you know and and then and then the bodies start piling up after that <laughs> so if you put two and two together you know i think sarah is kind of like the villain of this movie yeah i'll second that for sure i mean i love how you know noble she is she's like it, i wouldn't take it that's it's not my money it doesn't belong to yeah. me it's the bank yeah. 
until she sees a, a pile of $4 million. And then she turns into fucking Gollum. It's, yeah. yeah. My precious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, ridiculous. God. But I also love that earlier when they drop Lou off and Lou starts talking to his wife, Hank's, you know, after they agreed no wives, Hank's like, I bet he's telling her right now that fucking <laughs> asshole immediately. As soon as he gets home, tells his wife. Like, yeah. they're all pieces of shit who you can't trust. <laughs> it's crazy that Jacob is the, because he's not, you know, he's by himself. He's not with anybody. He doesn't have a wife or a girlfriend or anything. It's crazy that he's the one who ends up being, like, the most trustworthy, even though he's the one who kind of, like, and is, like, staggers around and he blurts stuff out out of nowhere. It really, he's probably the guy you could trust with the money because it's like, well, it's just him at his house, so... It's just crazy. These three people, the circumstances are, are so wild. And that's why it makes such a good movie. I love all the little things that come into play later. Like when Jacob just randomly blurts out of the cop, tell him about the plane. Yeah. And Hank he says, thinks- I love that. Like looks over at him like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> God. We, we just said. And then later on, they're like, hey, remember you said something about a plane. Help out this FBI guy. I was like, ah, oh, really, it's a smart script. Oh yeah, it's really it's really smart. And I, I it does those little things that a thriller that a thriller does when when Carl Carl comes up, you know, and he's he's like, hey, I thought you were avoiding me there for a minute, you know. And then the dog is like right by the money and is like about to just show all of it. And fucking Hank is like, God damn it, get me out of here, you know. Like this is such a horrible situation. It it a simple plan does those things really fucking well from point A to point B just thriller stuff where it just keeps you kind of your eyes on the screen. It's not just a talky talky movie. It's, it's showing you really fun stuff, really entertaining stuff. Yeah. Tension, like just constant tension. You're just on a wire the whole time. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you, you know, it's going to happen. You know, this is all going to go tits up. You just don't know when. Mm. And I, yeah. I love you. I keep the whole time. I'm thinking who's going to be the one who fucks this up. Which of these mm. three is going to be the guy who ruins this. And it's all of them. There is no real, like, it is kind of, you know, Hank's wife, but ultimately, I think even if she didn't know, they would have found their way there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, and then you have, you know, Gary Cole playing the fake FBI agent who, like, comes in and just turns the movie on its head again. And you're like, oh, my God, this is nuts. That last 15 minutes is fucking genius. Um, all right. The Ennio Morricone Award. Best yeah. music moment. But uh, did you go with uh, Danny Elfman, uh, part of his score? I did, yes. Okay, what do you got? Uh, I love Elfman's scores. I can like he's just such an underappreciated film composer. I think, oh, yeah. um, and the bit of music I had is right at the end of the movie when Hank ultimately decides to kill Jacob for the greater good, and oh, the music man. that's playing during that part, you can just feel the weight of everything Hank has done. Everything that has led them there is in that music, and. Combine that with Paxton's performance in that bit, and you just have a beautiful scene of just the ultimate consequences. And I, I love that so much. Elfman score really elevated that scene, and I like that. Yeah, I think that is one of the times it, it, it just truly shines. Uh, Elfman's like, okay, I can play with this, right? Uh, that's why I chose the exact same thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I love I love that scene. I love that last bit. That last you know fifteen minutes or so is like truly captivating. Um, and yeah, paired with what Jacob's saying, you know, 
and he's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself if you, you know, if you don't do this. And he's like, I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm not afraid. You're like, Oh my God. <laughs> Fucking Billy Bob Thornton is so good in this movie. Uh, and then Hank. Yeah. I mean, Hank kills his brother, you know, uh, after killing this fake FBI agent, um, honestly being the root cause of Carl dying. There's just all these bodies that pile up that are on Hank's conscience uh, at that point. And it's just Danny Elfman is in the background. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm keeping you right here in the mood. And, and that's like, what a, that's what a composer's for. Uh, yeah. I love that bit of music. Um, I like the opening title as well. I, when you start the movie, you're like, is this Fargo? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I watching Fargo? And like, I'm okay with that. I think some people I've read on letterbox. Some people are like, this is a ripoff of Fargo. I wouldn't go that far. I really would. I think it's going for completely different things. It's just got a very similar tone and kind of yeah. dark, dark humor to it. And they're so close in, in time, you know, 1996 and 1998. And you've got the connection of, of Sam Raimi and the Coens. I, I, get that conversation but i also think like they should be treated as their own their own films i think i think a simple plan being the novel that it is being this incredible story about greed you know and fargo's about these two guys are trying to trying to kill are getting paid to kill you know and it's 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 different it's just got that 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 tone and that kind of eerie music to it so i kind of get it but i wish people would kind of just leave them on their own yeah i mean it is you know it's two films released within two years of each other that, that deal with, you know, crime in the snow. So, yeah, heard, yeah. but to me, I think cause Ramey and the Coens, you know, came up together. I'm sure it's much more of a tip of the hat than it is a straight up theft. Exactly. You think the Coens were like, fuck you, Sam. Like, like we hate you, man. Like that's not what happened. No, that's just not what happened. I think it'd be funny if like the Coens were really petty and like their next movie involved like a bunch of teens going up to a cabin in the woods. But you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, the Coens are like, you know who should play Anton Sugar? Bruce Campbell. <laughs> like, Sign you know, me the fuck up. I want to live in that universe. I, I, I would too. I'd be totally fine with that. Uh, God bless. God bless uh, No Country for Old Men. And God bless Javier Bardem. But Bruce Campbell, that would be, that would be hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, 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 get the, I get those things. I saw one thing that was really funny on Letterboxd where they were like, Ooh, epi- <laughs> this new episode of Fargo season one is great. <laughs> and I, I thought that is funny because it's got, you know, Billy Bob who plays yeah. Lauren Malvo in Fargo season one, which is like still to this day, Fargo as a whole TV show has its holes. Season four, not really my thing. Season three, pretty good stuff. But season one and two are like, holy shit, especially season one. And Billy Bob is doing my favorite work he's ever done as Lauren Malvo on that show. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> Aces. Uh, is yeah, this what it. you want? Is <laughs> this what you want, Lester? I love that first season. That first season, I couldn't stop. Like I, uh, I was yeah. late for work because I was like, I got to keep going. I can't stop watching this. I, I know it's, it's bad. I've watched that season a few times and every time I'm like, the rest of my life is on hold. <laughs> Isn't it it's, great it's when you find a TV up. show that does that though, where you're like, nothing else matters right now. I need to know what happens next. Like, um, that, man, that, yeah, few and far between these days. There's mm-hmm. so much TV pumped out that I'm like, I'm over it. But 
Better Call Saul is been, has been doing that to me um, now. Now that it's back, finally, when that's on, and I'm just I'm so captivated. Oh. I am yeah. so so fucking into Better Call Saul. <laughs> it, it's insane. It is. It literally is the exact same feeling I had towards the end of Breaking Bad, and like, what a cool sensation. Yeah, it's blinders on. You're just you're you're in Albuquerque now, and for the next hour, you you're gonna enjoy this. It's yeah. Oh, it's yeah fuck and like and like for what it is you know it's just like incredible filmmaking like the the way that show is shot the way they capture things the patience that it has to just tell its story and have fun uh, along the way is jesus christ vince gilligan we do not deserve him you know um yeah great yeah i love that show that's the only show i can't remember the last show that did that to me where i was like oh my god this is sucking me in the Shield did that to me. That was the last show I really like. Got sucked in that that I picked, and it's a it's a trashy show. It's basically you know, it's it's like the the Walmart version of The Wire, basically. But it is a good show, and Michael Chiklis is engaging, and the story was really cool. And I kept wondering like, how is he going to get out of this one? And I, the last season I binged in like one day because I was like, holy shit! Every time, every episode, I'm like, Jesus! <laughs> it just it was great. So I missed that. I'm, I'm going to find yeah. another one. I'm sure I will. I, I, I like that feeling a lot. I, and I think that's like what people f- like fucking feed off of is like that, that cliffhanger, like, Oh my God, I can't wait to get the next one. And that's why Netflix has the next episode in five fucking seconds. Like you have no, you have no choice, but to stay on the couch or stop it, like manually stop it and be like, I have to stop and I have to move on with my life. But people like that sensation. I've lost that a bit because I love movies so much now where, you know, a few years back, I was like, I'm going to watch the Sopranos. I'm going to watch the wire. I'm going to watch all these, you know, these classic kind of uh, prestige television shows that people say are super important. And, you know, twin peaks, you know, these, these different things that like that, these shows that kind of matter to our culture. And uh, while while I, I I appreciate that Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, it's great, but man, there's nothing like just being done with something after two hours and being like, yeah, I can, I can move on to a completely different idea, yeah, completely different filmmaker, completely different uh, set of actors, a different cast. Uh, I that's what I feed off of now. It's like let's just keep fucking not checking these off, but just fucking forging ahead and running through them. Well, for me, I get that same feeling when I find a great movie, when I find a great book. Like, for mm. me, it's just I am always on the hunt for a great story. And yeah. once yeah. I find that and I can realize, like, I have found a really good story here, I can just let everything else go away for a bit and just live in this. And that is Everyone, a great feeling. Yeah. Everyone, fuck off. I found the art. Yeah. 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 Uh, such a good feeling. Uh, yeah, I love when these awards go to different places we just start talking about talk, talking about pop culture um philip simmer hoffman award i feel like it's between two guys yeah you're right uh the, I, I, it's between the brothers right it's, it's between the brothers uh who'd you pick i picked billy bob thornton great because i picked bill paxton <laughs> <laughs> wonderful uh i just didn't expect i from reading the the case and like getting the gist of this movie and looking at the cover, I was certain Billy Bob was going to be like the bad guy, but Mm. finding out not only is he basically like the only one in this movie with a goddamn soul, he's also willing to make a sacrifice 
so this can all be fucking over. Uh, I just was floored by that. I was floored by his performance, by it being so different than anything I'd seen him do. And I was really mesmerized by his performance. So I, I went with, with Billy Bob. I'm glad he's the one who got the nomination. Yeah, no, I do think he deserves, yeah, that like support it is a strong supporting role where he's in, he's in the movie a lot, has a lot of screen time, has a lot of great lines. He's in a lot of huge, huge fucking scenes, all of the massive scenes he, he's, he really takes part in. And like you said, he's like the only guy who has a soul when he's laying on the bed and he's like, do you ever feel evil? I do. It's like, Christ. You know, someone fucking give this guy a hug. (laughs) I mean, this dude murdered his best friend for his brother. I mean, and then clearly is not living with it well. Like, I I, get to see that part of like Bill Paxson just seems to be perfectly willing to kill whenever need be. But like Jacob did not want this from the beginning. He was like, we need to do this together. We're in this together. Why Why don't you guys see that? And oh, God, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, fuck, man. He's, he's so good. Um, yeah, I was, it was tough. And l- like, before I started watching the movie, because this is my second time seeing it, before I started watching the movie, I was like, Billy Bob is taking my PSH. There's like no, no, no fucking question about it. And then, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think we as a society, I don't think we as like a, an American audience give Bill Paxton enough credit. That guy is, is, fucking died like five years ago he was like 60 because of a i think it was he had a heart surgery and there were complications from it yeah, yeah that's what happened. just just fucking sucks i think that guy had some some shit left in the tank if you're asking me i think he could have had a really cool uh like late era in his career like in his 70s as like a fucking like grandfather type figure i think he could have done that the dude he's he's one of roger corman's fucking like disciples who's like i'm gonna put you in my movies i'm gonna see if you can figure this out and bill paxton's like i'm gonna fucking work on production design i'm gonna figure out how to how to make costumes i'm gonna figure out how to how movies work how the things that we see on the screen the final product are great but he was bill paxton became obsessed with the the ins and outs the point a to point b how do we get there how do we get to that final product and he became a student in the 70s and then of course in the 80s you know the terminator where he has the crazy fucking hair and, and aliens like these he he becomes like crucial to these films even if he need he only needs five fucking minutes to be like that guy's good like that guy's committed and then seeing him in this it's like what like that guy that guy can play like the all-american who's like i got a good job i got a good wife you know i'm about to have a baby uh, you know he's gonna be a father to a to a daughter you know and you're like oh that's that's nice that's lovely and he turns into a monster over the course of this movie. It just takes, it, 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 doesn't, it really doesn't take long for him to become like, dude, this conniving fucking twat. <laughs> Honestly, he turns into a, a prick in this movie. The stuff he's doing to Jacob, his brother, and the way he's kind of fucking up the friendship between Jacob and Lou. The way he treats Lou, like, I mean, I know Lou's an asshole, but he treats him like a second-class citizen um, is just, like, despicable. But Paxton fucking sells it. He carries the movie. He's in, like, every scene. And what did it for me was the end is just his fucking facial expression of, like, I believe that this guy, not Bill Paxton, I believe Hank Mitchell 
went through this stuff. When he does the, the, the last lines he's narrating about how there's some days that are okay, but those are few and far between. I'm usually thinking about the murders, the money, and my brother. It's like, oh my God. And it just, it's, he's narrating, but all it takes is Bill Paxton's face. And it's like, you know those pictures you see of someone who's like 18 and they're smiling and then they go to the war? Like they go to like they, they go they go fight in World War II and then they're like they're like 25 and a picture of them from 18 to 25 is like a completely different human being. That's how I feel about Paxton's performance in this movie. Is like this guy becomes something that's like fine to something that's like just so disgusting and so despicable because of greed, because of money, and because of a situation that they got themselves into and man he's good he's fucking good in this movie i i kind of i've always been a paxton believer and kind of like a fan as like a character actor and now i'm kind of like there's more there's more to him and i I, like people should appreciate it more than they do yeah i agree with all of that yeah no argument here bill paxton's one of the unsung heroes of character actors and i i've always liked him but yeah I feel like a lot of people know the face, but don't always know his name. And like I said, you know, seeing a character after get a lead role like this and really just, you know, own it is, is great. And I, I wish that happened more often. Um, yeah, this was, his death was a tragedy and he definitely had so much more to give uh, as we see with, a, you know, with a film like this. I, I'm, 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 I get why, why he took the PSH for you. Uh, just, it's such a, callous descent into hell for him and it's wild watching him just be so comfortable smothering an old man in the snow or brains out of a criminal or just you know talking like his brother into abandoning his best friend it's it's really sick it's i love transformations from good into evil and it's never been this seamless it's so weird how prepared he was for all this. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's Humphrey Bogart in Treasures of Sierra Madre and there's Bill Paxton in fucking a simple plan. Uh, he's, he's great. It, oh man. Like I, that's one of my favorite, one of my favorite things is, is transformation in a movie, not like Heath Ledger transformation into Joker before the movie was even shot, but yeah. transformation from our, you know, from, from minute one to hour two, yeah, that transfer the transformation like in between the lines, and yeah, Paxton. Hats off to that guy. Really wish he would have been nominated, but uh, but I get it. You know, him being a lead actor, it, Billy Bob is it's a it's a showy fucking like it's a showcase performance where it's like, look what I can fucking do. I can do this shit with my hair. I can rock these glasses that have the duct tape in the middle. I'll wear this beanie. I'll play a drunk. I'll play a bumbling fool. Like he does, ev- he's acting his ass off in this movie. So I, yeah, I get, I get going either way, and they're both in it a ton. I love like Billy Bob's like whenever he's like trying to tell a joke and he keeps stumbling over his words, or yeah. when he's like that when Lou picks the fight at the bar, <laughs> Jacob just walks back in and is like you, you shit in your left hand or some shit like that, and the guy <laughs> runs at him. You better get out of here. Yeah, he couldn't even say what he was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I love I love that that the transformation of that to him after Lou dies and he's at the bar by himself and he's just staring into an abyss. Mm. It's like, dude, Billy Bob. I mean, this is Billy Bob Sling Blade. You know, this is late '90s Billy Bob of like this guy 
is a force to be reckoned with. And yeah, I, I love that dude. He's he's always been kind of a, a hero of mine. He's a he's he's got a lot of gravitas to him. You know, like there's just not a lot of dudes out there that are like Billy Bob Thornton, kind of as like as as hard as Billy Bob Thornton. That's true. That's very true. And he's had such an interesting career trajectory since then. Oh it's, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, bad Santa and bad news bears and then Fargo. And it's like, you kind of really don't really, you don't know like what's going to happen next with Billy Bob Thornton. Like he could write something, he could direct something, he could star in a TV show. He could do anything now. And it's, it makes sense. Yeah. One of my favorite things he's done is uh, of course, Fargo is my favorite role, but he plays this like shitty lawyer in, um, this show called Goliath on Amazon prime. Mm. He he's fucking good in that show. And he plays kind of like an alcoholic, like a re- he's trying to quit drinking, but he can, you know, he's, he's having trouble and he's kind of like a Bob Odenkirk, better uh, Saul Goodman type, like where he's like, just kind of like not really playing by the rules, a type lawyer. But then he, he finds a case where he's like, I should like actually step up and do this. And it's, it's, that's a cool show. Um, I think it's only, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I watched the first two seasons. I don't know if it ended after that or they kept going. I'm not really sure, but that first season like was really good and he's great. So you're right. He's kind of a jack of all trades at this point. Um, yeah, I love that guy. Goliath uh, ended after four seasons. So oh, it- there you go. So I got, I got two, two seasons to maybe watch at some point. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Uh, have you ever seen uh, Mr. Woodcock? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it's a terrible movie, but it's funny as shit. It's, it's one of my guilty pleasures. Mr. Mr. Woodcock. Yeah. Like what is he doing? But I love it. I'm totally cool with it. I accept it. Am I the only one who realizes that this guy is the biggest asshole in the world? <laughs> like, I, Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> don't change. Don't change Billy Bob. Don't change. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about, our favorite scenes from the movie, the Roger Deakins award. What do you got? I have the entire sequence that leads up to Jacob killing Lou. Uh, uh, I chose the same fucking thing. <laughs> that scene is structured so incredibly. The buildup is so oh. amazing. Just starting at the bar with knowing what Hank is trying to do here. You know, the way he's sipping his drink. So he's not going to get drunk. So he can stay co- cognizant. Yeah. He picks up on that. And it's like, why are you drinking like that? And just the way, you know, Jacob starts saying, you know, derogatory shit about Hank. Lou starts getting agitated. Guns come out. It's like the way that that the buildup is done so gradually and so naturally that you just you're you're invested. You're you're sucked into this and you're like something something's going to fucking happen here. But what? (laughs) And then just end with Hank, you know, killing Lou's wife and then blasting around and telling Jacob, like, this is what we're going to say while Jacob is sitting in the basement reflecting on the fact that he just killed his best friend and Hank's like, listen to me, this is what we're going to say. Like, Oh my God. It's such an incredible bit of the movie. And Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I fucking love that scene. I love when they're, you know, they're all shooting the shit and Hank. Yeah. I love when Hank's doing the little sip and Jacob's like, who the fuck drinks like that? <laughs> like, He's like, what are you <laughs> <laughs> he's like what the fuck is that like what are you doing you know and Lou's like yeah you have the drinking kind of fucking weird you know and uh and then you have the the play along of 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 uh fucking jacob being like oh let's reenact let's let, or let's mm-hmm. act out how it would happen if he went to carl's office you know and 
and he does that and then you know fucking hank has the has the tape recorder and you're like oh man that was a genius scene but jacob's like i can't believe i just did that and then and yeah and then like you said you're like this is not gonna end well and you know lou is piss drunk i love how he hides the fucking liquor bottle in the like chair that he's sitting in so that his wife won't see it it's like dude come on you know she knows you're pissed drunk you know she comes downstairs and is like shut the fuck up well, i love that she comes in and she's like have you heard the one about the drunk asshole who won't <laughs> shut up talking to his friends uh, the guy who lives here rent free like shut up i have work in the morning uh yeah god so good yeah and then and then that's where i think hank is like whoa it to me it's like are you a, are you like a full-time criminal because he's like bam bam like shooting different areas of the house with a shotgun and you're like dude he's staging he's staging this shit like he's going that far to where like this this couple <clears throat> this couple just died and he's like oh i gotta stage this shit so i don't get in trouble like <laughs> you know so i can keep that four million and go home to sarah like oh you're a monster dude um and then like you said that touch of Jacob being down in the basement just like looks like he wants to die and you can't really blame him. Like what a rough night for him. Um, God. And then Hank with, you know, no soul in his eyes tells a whole lie to the cops to get them to be like, Oh yeah, it was self-defense. You know, Jacob saved my life. And uh, it's just, it's fucking nuts. That's like such a brilliant scene. And that's where it's like, okay, Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi has now rivaled anybody who's made a dramatic thriller, a crime thriller. That scene is incredible. I love the aftermath at the police station when they're like noticing the holes in their stories. And I love Hank's like, well, if he remembers it that way, I can see why he would like, that's exactly, that's some shit Ted Bundy would say of like, yeah. well, if that's what they say, I mean, I don't remember it too well, but they would remember it better. Like just matter of factly, no, like humanity in those eyes, just stating what, you know, they've convinced themselves are the facts. It's, it's crazy. I'm sure. I wonder if Paxton like looked into some uh, like interviews of serial killers and sociopaths to try to kind of find that. Mm. I'd love to know what his process was preparing for this. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, I did read, I meant to mention this with my PSH Paxton had read the book five years before he got the role. And was like, I want to play Hank. Like he was like, I, that's that's my role. So like, this role of Hank Mitchell is like a dream role for Bill Paxton, which is so random. But it's just a novel that he read and was like, I, this is really good. This is really really engaging story. I want to be in it, and I want to be I want to be the star. You know, I, I want to carry this movie. And that's just so neat that it like came to fruition. You know, uh, he's able to do that. So I'm sure he went to to deep research about how, how to play this character. Well, and Sam Raimi, you know, who started out, you know, as a, you know, B movie director working with character actors, I'm sure he was, you know, more than willing to give Bill Paxton a chance at a leading role like that, knowing what he was yeah. capable of and knowing what character actors are capable of. So I'm sure that was a match made in heaven. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. This, this movie, it just makes sense that it became what it, what it was. I, I do think it is a tad too long. I think two hours is like, it drags a bit a couple times where it's like, okay, we could speed the pace up here. Like it, like Fargo is like 95 minutes and it's just like a breeze. And I, I think like a thriller of this kind of caliber where you're dealing with this few characters, 
Mm-hmm. I think you could. I think you could shorten it, but I, I don't know. I would have introduced Gary Cole a lot earlier, mm-hmm. and had him be kind of an overarching presence in the movie, and then at the end have the realization that he's not actually FBI. Like maybe they're afraid of him the whole movie, thinking he's like onto them that he's a Fed, and then they make that connection, and it's like, oh shit, you know, the guy you thinks on the right side of this has been the criminal all along. I, I would have mm-hmm. done something like that. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think that plot point of the movie is for how long the movie is two hours it that part is too quick you go from you go from hank and sarah being like i don't think he's in the fbi like he might be this guy's brother fuck 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 and then like a scene later it's like that's happening now and like all of a sudden she's calling carl the the sheriff and she's like i need to speak to hank and she's like get out of there get out of there you know it's like that happened probably a little too quick for the pace of the rest of the movie. I do love that scene though, when he's on oh. the phone and, he, and he's like, I know. Love Sarah. you too. <laughs> yeah. Love you too. Can't, can't come home right now. And she's like, get the fuck out of there. What are you doing? And he's yeah. just like, I'll bring milk home or whatever. And like hangs up and like, shit, like what now? Like, uh, that, yeah. was, that was and good. <laughs> and he goes back to the desk and just grabs a shit ton of bullets and is like, one of these fuckers will work. <laughs> yeah yeah god what a brilliant yeah that last that really from the the like scene that we were talking about where lou and nancy die from there on out it's like dude fucking buckle up this is a this is a thriller like to the core um people want to talk about sounds of the lambs being a a thriller like we talked about last week no no no. this is a like proper you know subgenre thriller like that's that's what this movie is it's a crime drama thriller like that's like to the core it's not scary. It's not freaky or anything. It's just like, dude, this is so entertaining. <laughs> and I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, absolutely, man. This was a, this was a good pick for the show. Uh, this is the kind of stuff, you know, I love doing these movies I've heard about or, you know, have planned to see and am now getting a chance to truly observe in a, like with, with a good mindset of talking about it, like mm. something similar next week. So pretty cool. True, truly. Yeah, something totally untapped by us. Uh, yeah. Um, well, let's uh let's finish this thing off and look at some look at some categories and talk about talk about what we think about them. Uh we'll start with let's do adapted screenplay first. Um and then we'll do then we'll do supporting actor after. Um let's see, where are we at? We got Out of Sight. Uh, by Scott Frank from the novel by Elmer Leonard. I've always wanted to see that. Um, Elmer Leonard is like an absolute legend and has his stuff adapted all the time. Uh, Primary Colors, Elaine May, another legend, uh, adapted from the novel by Joe Klein. A Simple Plan, adapted by Scott B. Smith from his own novel. Uh, The Thin Red Line, Terrence Malick, adapted from the novel by James Jones. Uh, And the winner, Gods and Monsters, fucking haven't seen that yet <laughs> that, that crushes me <laughs> all four of those films have been on my list for years i want to watch all of those and i fucking hate that i haven't seen gods and monsters especially i am i know i'm going to absolutely love that movie i mean yeah. the biopic of james whale the openly gay director of frankenstein in 1931 played by ian mckellen i mean are you kidding me <laughs> Yeah, I hate that I haven't seen this. Yeah, Ian McKellen, Brennan Fraser's in this movie. Like, I, like, what are we doing? Maybe we should just fucking, fucking pick it at some point and just, just do it. Um, I, I wanted to watch. Uh, I've, you know, of course, I've seen the Thin Red Line because I fucking love Malik. But 
I, I almost was like, let's use this week to watch Gods and Monsters out of sight in primary colors as well as a simple plant. I just didn't have the time. I had to be a little bit, mm. little bit, I had to kind of adjust things and like they're not all on streaming. So I was like, fuck. But one day, one day that'll happen. If you didn't have the time, I sure as fuck did not have the time. <laughs> I know you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I own primary colors. Like I could, we could, like we could do that whenever. And out of sight, I, I've, I know that's got a Jackie Brown connection because Michael Keaton plays Ray Nicolette in that as well. Man, yeah. fucking hell, fucking hell, dude. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Lane Mays, you know, he's Lane May and Mike Nichols. Like, what a match made in heaven. Um, out of sight, fucking Steven Soderbergh. You got Danny DeVito's in that goddamn movie. So, uh, yeah, we we definitely have some homework to do with these. Yeah, I I figured uh, a lot of untapped awards movies that I have not watched uh, from this from this ceremony. Uh, definitely a lot I I want to see, um, and you know I've got time. Yeah, we will get to it at some point. You know, this is sometimes the beauty of this show is kind of challenging yourself. Like, okay, I need to I, I need to take this more seriously and and uh, not necessarily take it more seriously, but but take these movies seriously. And try to knock them off when you can. Uh, what about? Are you looking at the Wikipedia right now? I am. Okay. What do you think about the supporting actor group? I feel like you love these guys. I do, but again, I've I have. I, oh wait, no, actually, yeah. Okay, I've only I have I've only uh, not seen two of these. I haven't seen Affliction or a Civil Action. Uh, you haven't seen you haven't seen a Civil Action. I know. I I have not. That's kind of fascinating. I thought we had talked about this movie at some point. Yeah, John Travolta is fucking great in that movie. <laughs> it's uh, one of those, yeah. you know, I, I love courtroom dramas. I love Travolta. I love Duvall. Like, there's no real reason I haven't. Like, I've, I, I'll watch it at some point, I'm sure. All right. Well, I'll let you take this category. Let's, yeah. I know some of these guys are your people. Okay. We've got Robert Duvall for Civil Action. Ed Harris for The Truman Show. Jeffrey Rush for Shakespeare in Love. Billy Bob Thornton in A Simple Plan, and the winner, James Coburn for Affliction. Mm. Uh, haven't seen Affliction, so I can't judge whether or not Coburn uh, deserved this one. Uh, have you seen Affliction? Hell yeah. Uh, I wanted to do it for a, for an episode. I remember we kind of like penciled that in at some point. I and I can't, I can't remember why I changed my mind. It might have been on streaming, then it was taken off or something. I can't remember, but then I went back and watched because it's it's my guy Schrader. Um, wow. it's, it's Paul Schrader writing and directing, and and Nick Nolte in the fucking late nineties. So um, I I really like it. It's like an eight out of ten movie. I would definitely love to do it on the show at some point. It's cool to it's cool to tackle um, movies like this that have a supporting actor win. James Coburn's really good. Um, I I've seen all these movies and I. I, I I would give it to Billy Bob Thornton, but that's just me. You know what? From what I've seen, I would too. Uh, I've seen, you know, between for me, this is between Ed Harris, Jeffrey Rush, and Billy Bob because those are the three I've seen. And Jeffrey Rush and Shakespeare in Love is, you know, he's that that whole movie really is, is cute, but it it has no business being here. Um, yeah, it's fine, but yeah, no. Ed Harris in, in Truman Show, though, is given quite a powerhouse performance of just, you know, a man who thinks he's God, which is it's always a cool thing to see in film. Uh, but Billy Bob is just so goddamn tortured as Jacob and really sells this, you know, last man on earth kind of vibe that I really like. So I, I think uh, 
yeah, he should get a win here. I think he won for screenplay for Sling Blade, though, right? Yes, in 96, yeah. Um, now, really, John Goodman should win Best Supporting Actor for playing Walter and Big Lebowski, but, you know, you know, Big Lebowski got completely shut out. That's, like, one of the best movies of all time that got zero nominations because it was kind of a bomb when it came out. People were like, this isn't Fargo. <laughs> you know, it took, like, eight years for people to figure out, oh, that was actually better than Fargo. Fuck, you know, and here we are now. It's their it's their most popular, most talked about movie yeah. of their entire filmography. Ignoring it in 98. Well, you know, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Same same thing with, you know, uh, a little movie called The Shining. All work, no play. You know, uh, 1980 just gets shut out, was even up for like a bunch of Razzies. So, you know, shit happens. Sometimes the Academy wouldn't know art if it broke a fucking door down in its face with an axe. Yeah, I, I sadly, I agree. Um, this ceremony is way more fun to do. Like, I, I don't really want to do a Best Picture showdown with, with this ceremony. I, I, I think it's cool now to like shit on certain movies that have won Best Picture, like Shakespeare in Love, like the movie sucks. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's not like bad, but it's not good either. And that's annoying when a movie like that wins Best Picture when you, you do have some really good movies that like the Truman Show is not even up for Best Picture, you know, and that's just that's bonkers because that's like, like what? I mean, it's it's Elizabeth. Life is beautiful. Saving Private Ryan, the thin red line and Shakespeare in love. Like, I don't want to I don't want to go through that. Like, <laughs> That's a that's a tough fucking group to just like kind of trudge through. I, I Saving Private Ryan's great. Uh, I've seen Life Is Beautiful once, and I had a good time watching it, uh, or good time appreciating it. It's not like an easy watch or anything. Uh, Thin Red Line is like long as fuck, and Shakespeare in Love, you can kind of take it or leave it. So like, it's just not one of those that's jumping out off the page. Like, oh, we have to do that year. It's more fun to me. You know, we did Truman Show. We've done a simple plan. In my opinion, the next pick would be Gods and Monsters. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, those five are all pretty. I don't think a single one of them is under two hours. And no, no. Yeah, it's all just kind of downers. I mean, I know yeah. I, I haven't seen Life is Beautiful, but I know the subject matter, and I'm not exactly itching to watch that. You know, I, I'm not a yeah, you know, Holocaust movie guy. They're just, it's fucking sad. I don't want to watch that shit for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then have to like, rank it and talk about it on a, on a show for two hours and uh, it was, yeah, you got I don't, I don't three know. world war ii movies and like elizabeth <laughs> which i'm sure is good but also you know long as fuck and pretty uh you know has a pretty like narrow target demographic yeah and then yeah, shakespeare fuck, in love which is like the comedy fucking version of elizabeth so like, it's there's not a lot of variety here yeah like it <laughs> Fucking, you know, say what you will, but it would be more fun to do like Armageddon, you know, <laughs> like as, just for fun. Like, that I don't would, know. That like, would be a blast doing that on Oscar Sunday. Yeah. Jesus. Just like, yeah, just for the hell of it. You know, we could both like, we could like watch the Criterion edition of it and like take it really seriously and be like, ah, what the fuck is this? You know, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, this, this ceremony is weird like it's weird 1998 is great but th they just missed out on so much cool stuff um 
I'm looking. I'm looking at it now. And I'm just like, oh my god, there's a lot of stuff they're missing, and you know, stuff from our top fives for sure. And that's just that that sucks. But you know, that's, that's the way. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, I'm. I don't get it. Sometimes it's it's weird what resonates with people. But you know, as we've come to learn, they they get their ten minute viewing package, they watch it, and then they go home. So, I mean, are we really surprised? Yeah, no, Judy Dench has a couple uh, bits in Shakespeare in Love that's like, I would get that if they watched 10 minutes of Judy Dench fucking lighting people up. Uh, I, w- I would totally understand, you know, them being like, this is the best movie of the year. But, you know, then again, Rounders came out the same year and is way better. <laughs> this is one of those travesty years where the wrong movie won Best Picture. And it's just, you know, it's, I think it's more valuable to our time to kind of go with the outliers. Yeah, for these ceremonies, I agree. Like, we haven't done the worst best picture winner we've done is Hamlet or Chariots of Fire. And I don't want, I don't want to do that very often. <laughs> no, I, in fact, it's really kind of, you know, I hate it when I end up watching a best picture winner I haven't seen that turns out to be a piece of shit that did not deserve to be there. And it's like, well, now there's this kind of shadow over the episode where we're all just kind of like, why is this here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our next Best Picture Showdown is going to be a classic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Gonna, We've, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one that's been in the works, and we already know we love this movie, so it's, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to be it, actually episode 105 is what that'll be, and it'll end up being our two-year anniversary of doing this show. Um, our first episode was two years ago, uh, June 2020, and we did Pulp Fiction. We did Pulp Fiction. And then uh, for our one year, we didn't really plan it, but it ended up being anatomy of a murder. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> not bad, not a bad, uh, you know, let's just say this, this movie that we're going to be doing might be better than those two movies, which is yeah, fucking saying something, you know, uh, maybe not better for us personally, but I think in like the, the film conscience of most people, they're like, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. Nah, it's a movie I could put on at any time and enjoy. And that's that's always good. Yeah, I can't wait. The is pretty tough overall, the best picture group, but we're gonna have some fun with it for sure. And that the winner is great. So yeah, I can't wait for that. But um, yeah, this is this is a blast. We're definitely gonna go with this route um from here on out with this show, kind of like uh start off with some kind of fun project, maybe talk about some of the individuals that are in the movie that are Oscar nominated or do a top five or do a draft. And we're going to go straight into our awards. Cause I think that's the best way to just open up and talk about the film. And then we'll finish with the ceremony always. Um, so yeah, that's going to be what we do moving forward. But uh, tomorrow more Sam Raimi stuff, Dr. Strange uh, in the multiverse of madness is going to be the talk of the town. I'm sure that's you and Caleb. Um, fucking going out that movie we're recording this on friday night you've already seen it yeah um i will probably be seeing it tomorrow night uh if i'm lucky hopefully depends when i get out of work uh i'm excited i'm excited to see it i'm excited to hear you guys talk about it yeah i'm excited to dig into this one uh major implications for the mcu going forward i love that we're you know so deep into this crazy ass convoluted multi-branch story that Kevin Feige has crafted for us and I'm just excited for what he's got planned next. It's really like 
you know, I've yet to really be disappointed by any of these. I've, I'm enjoying the ride. Hell yeah, man. And then on Filmgasm on Wednesday, Firestarter 1984, because the new one is coming out, which is when I watched the trailer for Firestarter, I think you and you, me and Caleb talked about this last week. Uh, Zach Efron's playing a dad. What the fuck? Like where, where did time, where did the time go uh, in the new Firestarter? So it feels right to do this movie, the eighties one um, kind of go back to some Stephen King, kind of go to our, back to our roots of filmgasm feels right. Yeah. And I'm excited to kind of see if this movie holds up in any way. Cause when I watched it a, a long time ago, I did like it, but now, you know, I mean, I'm going to stress this every possible opportunity I, I have George C. Scott plays a native American. <laughs> And the way they did that was they basically gave him black hair and that's fucking sad. So I'm going to see like, how much does that hurt this movie? I'm assuming a fuck ton. So we'll see. I think it'll be fun to just go into an eighties King movie, you know, prepping for the remake. Yeah. That's always a good place to be on film. Guys, was the eighties. Uh, and then on beyond the bad Friday, uh, episode 19, we're getting close to that. Number 20, uh, Freddie got fingered. What the fuck? <laughs> God That's what it. I said. I've, I I mentioned this on last week's Beyond the Bad. I tried so hard to get Caleb to, to do anything else. <laughs> I wanted him to. I was like, it's a Friday the 13th. We could do a Jason movie. And he told me he didn't want Jason. He didn't want our first touch of Jason to be a bad movie. <laughs> so I, on some level, I understood that. But also, like, I have 1,700 movies in the potential list. And we, we got to do Freddy Got Fingered. Yeah, really? This Friday we have to do uh, that. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna be watching Tom Green's masterpiece, I guess. And uh, yeah, I don't really know what to expect. I don't know anything about this movie apart from the fact that it is considered one of the worst movies of all time. And I don't fucking like Tom Green. I think he's obnoxious and irritating. So here we go. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty rare that you find something uh, endearing that Tom Green does. That's <laughs> pretty pretty rare. I don't know if it even has happened. Maybe maybe road trip. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the guy's fucking whack. <laughs> and then next week on this show, next Sunday, we'll be going back to the 1930s, which we haven't done for a long time. I'm excited to go back to old old school Hollywood, right? And, and kind of go back to the the beginning of of the Academy Awards, 1932, Shanghai Express. It was nominated for three awards. At the fifth Academy Awards, fifth, like holy fuck, uh, it won Best Cinematography, and then it was up for Best Picture and Best Director. So some pretty big categories, but uh, we're gonna have some fun watching this movie. That's like an hour and twenty minutes, which is great. You know, we don't really ever get that on this show, so it's usually like two hours or three. <laughs> and, uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be nice to to kind of just watch something completely different that neither of us have ever seen. Uh, go into this movie blind see what we think it's got people like this movie it's apparently stood the test of time and has good you know good meta score good letterbox good rotten tomatoes good imdb rating so i'm excited i'm going into it with not super high expectations but i do i expect a good episode i expect we'll have some fun uh, it's a movie based on a lady who uh is riding a train that's i you know a dangerous situation happens i don't know much about it but we're going to be talking about trains next week. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and I think for both of us, it feels good to kind of right a wrong here because we had planned to do 
Shanghai Express a while back. Yep. And we couldn't fucking find it. It was so hard to get a hold of. So we had to cancel that episode and do the Wizard of Oz instead, which ended up being really fun. But yeah, the next day I went to a, my local half price books and I found a copy of Shanghai Express. So I was like, Crazy. well, here we go. Now we can do it. The gods have spoken. Yeah. So, yeah, this feels good to, to do this proper because this is, it felt like the episode that got away. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It's like the lost, yeah, the lost uh, artifact of, of Oscar Sunday. So, yeah, it'll be great. I don't expect a lot of listeners to like be like, oh, I'll go fucking buy that movie. It is hard to find. It's not an easy one. But we will be opening up that episode with something really fun, uh, something that's more immersive and not just about 1932. So uh, still, still come check us out and uh, keep up with us this week. Follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, it's always at Filmgasm, filmgasm.com. We're always putting up new, art, new uh, articles and reviews and all kinds of shit. So stick with us and we'll see you tomorrow for Dr. Strange.